I'm grateful to have the opportunity, and I do thank your pastor and staff and the elders for the opportunity to open the Word of God with you this morning. We're going to do that from the first uh, letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, the 16th chapter, and it's about the offering. And uh, before we do that, let me tell you why we've chosen this particular text and theme for the morning in the Heidelberg Catechism, as you know, one of the doctrinal standards of the denomination we're part of. There's a section on the Ten Commandments, and when you come to the Eighth Commandment, it asks, what is this commandment about? In a very straightforward fashion, we're told that it is about stealing and not stealing and being honest and not cheating and not using dishonest weights and dishonest measures and doing the right thing in the right way in all our relationships. And that's sort of the general theme that I want to be dealing with this morning. But I want to come at the subject from the perspective of the prophet Malachi who asks, will a man, will a person steal from God? And the people who are hearing him are saying, well, how could we possibly do that? Such, such a thing is inconceivable that we would rob God. And yet Malachi says that's exactly what happens for some of you. He's talking to the people of his day in tithes and in offerings. And I'm picking up on the word offering through the catechism and the prophet and coming to the use of that word as Paul uses it for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Just four verses from the uh, last chapter in this first letter to the church in Corinth. So listen to the word of God. He writes, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. And we don't know what he told the Galatian churches to do because it's not referred to in that letter. There must have been other correspondence. But he says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. And this is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer, please? Heavenly Father, sometimes talking about money and listening to people talk about money is a hard thing to do. It creates all kinds of feelings in us. Some of us satisfied, some of us dissatisfied, some of us incredibly interested, others of us could care less about it. We're trusting that by your spirit, you'll open our hearts to your word this morning. Give us insight into what these words might mean for us today at Faith Church, believers in Jesus at this moment in this community. Open our hearts to you, Father, so that what we hear really does make a difference in who we are, how we live, how we serve. And we pray together in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Do you listen to the radio occasionally on Saturday evening at 5.30, National Public Radio? Do we have any Garrison Keeler fans in the congregation this morning, Prairie Home Companion? People, young people are looking at me, what? Yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah bless you for those of us uh, who do find our way to that program from time to time. 
I, I have to tell you that the best part of that radio show for my money is, well, first of all, I do like the music, but the best part of the uh, program is the time when he says, well, it's been a quiet lake, uh, week in Lake Wobegon, my hometown, out on the prairie, and then he spins this wonderful story about people, I think many of whom are just like us, and the life they lead somewhere in the mythical village of Lake Wobegon, Minnesota. In a program, Keeler told the story of Sunday morning at the Lake Wobegon Lutheran Church. And he says it was a typical morning at Lake Wobegon Lutheran Church. Clarence Bunsen, a familiar character, was dozing his way through the worship service when he suddenly woke to find it was time for the offering. Keeler tells us that Bunsen woke with a start because he realized he'd left his wallet home. He had no cash. But thankfully, he had his checkbook. And so he slipped the checkbook from his suit coat pocket and half awake began to write out a check for $30, more than he would normally give. But he'd had a good week. He'd been to the doctor's office, got a good report. He was feeling good about himself. And besides, he knew that later that morning in the church basement, some deacons would be counting the money, and his name would be on a certain amount. And he wanted them to think better of him than sometimes perhaps they did. So Clarence is trying to write his check without drawing attention to himself. He hides his checkbook in the pew Bible and begins to carefully write the amount. The lady on his right is kind of looking over at him, see what he's doing, and so he looks away for just a moment and doesn't exactly pay attention to what it is he's writing. The plate comes by, he rips his check from the checkbook as quietly as possible, not as quiet as he'd hoped, places his check in the basket, only to realize a second later that he had put one more zero on that check than he had intended. It was $300, not 30 He was in a panic. What is he going to do? He can't go to the deacons later and say, hey, I made a mistake. I wrote the check for more than I intended. And he knows he's going to have to go home and tell his wife and kids that it will be beans and oatmeal for a week because he gave more than they had in the grocery account. And so Bunsen has this horrible feeling that he has given more than he intended, doesn't know how to get it back. And the only thing Keeler says you can conclude from that story is that at that moment in worship, Clarence Bunsen was more awake than he had ever been in church before. I like that story. I like it because sometimes when the offering plate comes by, I have slipped into that, this is the offering mode. It's the time when I check out the bulletin. It's the time when I listen to music and my thoughts go somewhere else. It's the time when, I, when we were younger. This wasn't me, this was my wife. She looked down the road at the kids to make sure that they were lined up with church candy and papers and everything it takes 
to sometimes get a child through a worship service. And truth is that when the offering is sometimes mentioned in church, we are not fully awake. It doesn't have all of our interest. It doesn't have all of our attention. Certainly Paul would want that, would he not? Would want us to be fully awake and alert when the offering is mentioned. And so I want to take just these few verses from 1 Corinthians this morning and trusting that the Spirit of God will allow us to engage in an honest way with the text. I want to be fully alert to what the Spirit of God has to say to my heart about that moment when the offering basket passes me, the moments that precede it, the moments that follow it, and the moments that shape my life. If you were familiar with 1 Corinthians, and no doubt many of you are, you may know that much of the letter seems to be a response to specific issues that were going on in the church in Corinth. And we know that because Paul writes in a number of places, now about the, now about the, or in the words of our text, he says, now concerning the offering, which means that there was some concern about the offering. Now concerning marriage, he writes about marriage. Now about communion, he writes about communion. Now about remaining single, he writes about remaining single. He's got a whole list of subjects that apparently were of concern in that church that he has to address in this letter. And in these few verses, he hones in on the subject of the offering. Sermons about money can be long, can be brief, can be very detailed, or can be very broad. John Wesley, the great preacher, challenged his congregation in hard economic times with a three-point sermon. And here it is. Number one, earn all you can. Number two, save all you can. Number three, give all you can. Earn, save, give. That was Wesley's motto for living. That's what he taught his congregation. It is, I think, a pattern that Paul would be very familiar and supportive with. In the days of the apostle, no doubt like our days, there were all kinds of attitude about money and what the church does with its money, how the church gets its money, and how Christians ought to support churches in handling finance. The modern attitude about money is illustrated, I think, in a recent survey done in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. In a broad survey, there were two questions. The first question was simply, what makes you happy? The second question was, what makes you unhappy? Out of all of the responses, and there were thousands, the number one thing that made people happy was, guess what? Family. Number two, friends. Number three, work. And it's not till you got down to number eight that money was mentioned. Apparently, at that time in that place, money wasn't at the top of the priority. The second question was, what is it that makes you unhappy? Number one answer, money. Interesting. Money apparently has the capacity to create unhappiness in people and not generally to create happiness, which is another way of saying when you've got enough money, you don't usually say having enough money is why I'm feeling good about life and about myself. But when you don't have enough money 
or when it's a tense subject for you, it quickly surfaces to the number one concern in your life, which I think is borne out by the fact that in the state of Illinois at this present time, the primary cause for marital failure, as listed among those who give a cause, is financial tensions. Money has the capacity to create enormous tension and unhappiness in our lives. Even, I think, in money and church. Even when we talk about it as a family of faith, it has the possibility of saying things and doing things to us that we don't necessarily like. Now, when I listen to what Paul says about money and how he talks about the collection in this passage and other passages, especially in 2 Corinthians, I understand that he's got a very different perspective about it. And it's that perspective that I'd like to share with you, whether you are happy or unhappy in your life, whether your unhappiness is created by financial tension or other causes, open your heart for a moment and, say, and ask God to let us know once more what we ought to know about giving, worship, collections. So we simply walk through the text together. Now concerning the collection, says Paul, on the first day of the week. The first word that comes to my mind when I read these words is discipline. For the Apostle Paul, the subject of offering and church was an issue of discipline. He's not encouraging those in the church in Corinth to give when they were moved to give because they had a really good week or to give when it occurred to them because there were lots of things on their mind. It is instead a pattern that he wanted to establish on the first day of the week. Why the first day of the week? Well, you probably know that for the early church, worship was the first day of the week. It was the day of Jesus' resurrection. It was the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was the day when believers came together, a very different day from the Jewish Sabbath, which many of them also observed. But on the first day of the week, it was all about my life in Jesus and his resurrection life in me. And Paul is saying, when you come to that day, I want you to have the discipline of setting aside a certain amount for the collection. And that's what they did. Collections and church and worship are inextricably bound. Something about being together as a body of Christ also includes that moment when a basket is passed or an envelope is handed in and a collection is taken. Paul says, let this happen for you on the first day of the week. Now, in his case, he was saying to people, you take that money and set it aside. That's the second word that occurs to me. It's not only disciplined, it's dedicated. It is a set-aside amount. So on the first day of the week, in families throughout the Corinthian community, they were to set aside a specific designated amount of money that was to be for the offering that would later be collected by Paul. You wonder how that worked out. You wonder if in families they really did that. 
I mean, was there the kind of body of faith that heard these words and said, you know, we got this letter from Paul and he's saying, it's Sunday, we really need to take something of what we've got and set it aside because there's going to be a collection for this and we want to be ready for that collection. We want to dedicate an amount to that. I would tell you that moving into that framework, that mindset about giving is something that is very challenging for a lot of us. For most of us, if it doesn't happen early in our lives, it's going to be a struggle. One preacher once called the, uh, the whole subject of giving the second great conversion in a believer's life. First, God claims our souls for all eternity, but then later on down the line somewhere, we realize that he also claims our wealth, our income, our giving. So unless you've been raised that way, this may be a struggle for you. And I just want to challenge those of you, particularly those of you who are younger, to, um, to move into a disciplined way of dedicating a part of your income to the service of God, to the collection. When Celia, my wife, and I were first married, we uh, had the envelope system. So you, you, those of you who are my age probably remember this day. You know, you get a paycheck in an envelope, right? So we had like six envelopes, and I think at that time she was the breadwinner in our family for lots of years. So we're, she was making like $80 a week. And we'd take that $80 and we'd have it piled up in fives and tens. And in every envelope we would put a certain amount of cash. And there was always a church envelope for us, and we'd put some money in that envelope. And it was our way of saying, and I will be very honest with you, this was my wife's idea. And um, I'm not sure that I was always thrilled with it up front, but uh, thank God for that. She's far more disciplined and dedicated in those matters than I have been. We always knew that when a collection plate was passed, there was a part of something we had dedicated we could put into that. Now, we've gotten beyond that. I mean, we've got a spreadsheet now and all of that kind of thing. But one of the items on our spreadsheet is a dedicated account for charity, which includes collections, which includes giving to this church. And I would encourage you, in keeping with Paul's counsel to the church in Corinth, to dedicate a specific part of your income for the collection, for the collections, of which there are many for the charities, for the causes, including the cause of Christ in the church, which ought to be part of the discipline giving. And it's also a great place, of course, to train our children and to build into their lives. So. Um, if you haven't done this yet, then you know you're just getting started out in life. Sit down, pray together about it, uh, set up a budget with each other, and make sure that that budget includes that dedicated amount that you would want to give. Now, further, when I read this, Paul is very clear that the dedicated amount is a designated amount. He says it is an amount for the church, and it's for the church in Jerusalem. We don't really know what was happening in Jerusalem at that time. There are several theories. One is that there was a famine in Jerusalem and that there needed to be a worldwide collection of believers so that they could provide money to buy food for those who were hungry in the mother church in Jerusalem. Another idea is that since this was written sometime after that first blush of the gospel spread like wildfire through the community and things had sort of cooled down the giving patterns had cooled down also, and that particularly the poor in Jerusalem 
were being neglected because people just weren't as faithful in giving as once they had been. So Paul is given the charge by the Jerusalem church to make this a cause around the world, including Asia Minor, to get some money for these poor folks in Jerusalem who just didn't have enough. Paul says, I'm coming to gather a collection for the church in Jerusalem. It is a designated account. That is, it is money that has a very specific target, a very specific home. So I you know I'm a guest pastor in this congregation. I, I know a lot about you in a general way. I know nothing about you in terms of your giving patterns or the way in which you distribute your funds. So I asked a couple of questions a week ago and I have some answers and you may be as interested in these answers as I was. I learned, for example, that out of every dollar that comes into the ministry of Faith Christian Reformed Church, 55% goes outside of this congregation. That's amazing. Way to go, Faith Church. Out of every dollar that flows into this ministry, 55% of that flows outside of this church to other causes. That's simply saying that in all of the offerings you take, these are non-budget offerings and they go out someplace beyond you. Now, what happens to the money that comes to the budget, the designated account for supporting of this church and its ministries? So if you give a dollar to the budget, and understand this is done by an envelope system, I know this is tracked because federal uh, law now sees to it that all contributions made to churches that are tax deductible are going to be carefully tracked. Out of every dollar given to the budget of Faith Church, 25 cents goes to ministry shares. That means it goes to Calvin College, Calvin Theological Seminary, Trinity Christian College, the Board of World Missions, the Board of Home Missions, to all of these causes, the Back to God Hour, all of these causes that are still denominationally supported, 25 cents out of every budget dollar. 25 cents goes to church operating costs. That's why it's comfortable here this morning. They paid the heat bill. The lights are on. Everything it takes to keep this place going comes out of that. And 50% or 50 cents out of every dollar goes directly into ministries. It pays the salaries not of those who do ministry, but those who lead ministry, who equip you as a congregation to do ministry, and it supports the ministry funds that you draw from so that Faith Church can have a ministry in its community. What I'm saying is that a broad look at the finances of this congregation ought to be enough to convince you that when you give a dollar at Faith Church, it's going to be used in the right way by the right people for the right reason. It ought to be an encouragement to us and make, keep us fully awake when the offering plate is passed. We are making an investment in things beyond us. And when we hand in that budget envelope or send that budget check or when we give that ACH account that goes right to this congregation, it ought to be with the understanding that we are supporting something that very specifically is related to the kingdom of God, the church of Christ, and the growth of the gospel of Christ. These are designated funds. They are used carefully. When I read further in this text, Paul says each of you should lay aside or set aside an amount in keeping with income. 
In other words, Paul is saying giving should be proportionate. You can't look at a crowd and say, everybody here ought to put $100 every week in the offering plate and we'd be able to meet our expenses. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just an amount pulled out of the air. That's not how collections in the body of faith ought to work. Because the truth of the matter is the days in the Christian Reformed Church when we all pretty much made the same amount of money. I mean, we all did pretty much the same kind of work, made the same kind of money, and therefore the church could say, now if every family contributed this much, we would be able to meet our budget. Those days are long gone. We have disparity of income in our denomination like we've never had before. We have folks who are desperately poor, folks who are incredibly wealthy, a lot of us are somewhere right in the middle, and all of us need to give in keeping with our income. Which also means that we ought to review our giving on a regular pattern because income fluctuates, which is why some of us are giving less now than we were five years ago when times were better. It's also true that some of us are giving more than we were five years ago because times are better for us. And it's certainly true that if we're giving the same we were giving in 1990, it's time we check once more what proportional giving means. In the word of God, the principle is equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. Equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. We give as God has blessed us. We give in light of the needs. We give as the gift has been given to us. Beyond this proportional sense, Paul also refers to, I think, efficiency in giving. When we talk about efficiency in giving, it means handling a dollar the right way to get the most out of that dollar you possibly can, using it, giving it, spending it in a way that, um, in a way I think that shows we take this seriously. We want to do this the best way we know how to do it. A number of years ago, I was walking through our council room uh, at, church, at, at Elmhurst Church, and the deacons were had this pile of cash on the table. You know, after every service, they get together and count the cash. And uh, I'm watching one deacon, and he's got this little bitty wad about that big. I mean, I said, what are you doing? And he's working on this little lot of paper. He said, that's a dollar bill. And he said, um, what, what is that about? He said, well, we got somebody in our congregation who likes to challenge the deacons and uh, just folds that thing as small and as tight as he possibly can. I'm thinking, here's a guy, you know, trying to unfold a dollar that uh, is taking him time and his wife and his kids are out in the car saying, when is he going to get out of there? It's time for lunch and you know, we've been here forever, and he's got to be in there counting them in. And he's in there fussing around because somebody with a, a strange sense of humor has decided that they were going to find a creative way to uh, flick that dollar bill in the offering plate. It, really? That's efficiency in the kingdom of God? That's how we want to spend our time? For those kinds of things? That's a silly example, isn't it? But you get the point, don't you? We've got to use the, the best thinking in the best way we can when it comes to the finances of the church. And, and that means all kinds of things in our day. At Elmhurst Church, and it's probably true at Faith Church as well, we have an increasing number of folks who give through the um, ACH, right? The Automatic Clearinghouse Accounts. And they've got a regular fund that gets shipped over to our congregation on a regular time, which is why if you're at the church next door on some Sundays, 
the plate goes by you and there's nothing in it, and you're thinking, how do they pay the bill around here? I mean, nobody gives anything. Well, that's not true. They just give differently. Look, I'm kind of old school, right? I still feel guilty, like I did this morning, when the plate passes me and I didn't put anything in it. It's like I'm thinking, shouldn't I put something in here? And I, I know we have our own giving pattern and we do giving our own way, but there's still something about me that says on Sunday when there's the opportunity to give, I, I want to be a part of that moment. And if you have decided to be one of these electronic givers, somehow in your mind and in your giving pattern, you've got to see the connection between what happens when you set up that account and what happens here on a Sunday morning, because it really is connected. I mean, what goes on here is directly related to what you did when you set that account up. We have groups like the Barnabas Foundation, and I, I can't say enough about these folks, who are incredibly skilled in helping us not only set up budgets, but in helping us learn how to disperse our wealth, in helping us make the best, most efficient use of the funds that God has given us. And, and I think that um, if we are wise, we will look for those ways to use every dollar in the kingdom of God as many times as we can, in as many ways as we can, as efficiently as possible. Paul says, when I get there, I don't want to spend time having to get all this. Thing. You take care of doing this in the best way so that when I get there, I can take the money and move on to Jerusalem. He was concerned about efficiency because there are times when time really does matter. The last thing that when uh, I read these verses that comes to my mind is the issue of integrity. Integrity. The Apostle Paul uh, talks about giving a letter of introduction to men you approve and sending them with your gift. It's like he wants the Jerusalem church to know that the believers in Corinth have taken this offering together and this offering is being brought to you by people you can trust and how that money gets moved from where it is to where it needs to be and the people who move it is a really important question to him. And it has everything to do with integrity. For many years, every January, I would meet with a group of pastors in San Diego, and we would spend four days in a just really nice place talking about church and church life. And one of the things we talked about every year was how our congregations were handling finances. And one year, one of the pastors in a West Coast church came and said, man, we have had a terrible year. He told the story of how financial malfeasance in his congregation had led to one person being able to take thousands of dollars out of the general fund of the church, unknown to anybody, and use those in support of a habit. And he talked about what that did to his congregation, how that just crushed the life of that congregation when they found, first of all, that their trust had been violated, that integrity had been compromised, when they learned that money they had given for ministry was being blown on somebody's addiction. It's a sad story. It's a story you won't ever want to hear in this church. I certainly wouldn't want it in the church that I'm now a member of. It is so important to Paul how you handle the money that he refers to the same subject again in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 8, he says, we're sending along with him the brother who is 
praised by all churches for his service to the gospel. And what's more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. Now listen to these words. He says, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. As a church, a congregation, and individuals, we've got to be so careful when it comes to how money comes in, how it goes out, who handles it, who tracks it, because the pain of failure when in the body of Christ there's a financial mess is greater than any pain we as a congregation would want to experience. The truth is that the world looks at the church. It looks at the church and its leaders as to how they conduct their life. It looks at moral issues. You can read about that in the paper from time to time. It looks at financial issues. It looks at the way that churches around the world are spending their money, taking in their money. People watch us. And they make judgments about us when they learn how we use our funds. And to me, it just says then, we have got to be so careful as a body of Christ in how we get offerings, how we track offerings, how we disperse offerings, because the welfare of the gospel is at stake. Now, uh, I don't know if you're at a Clarence Bunsen moment and you're just kind of being, you know, shifted into some other space and you're not quite here, so let me kind of wrap this up and bring it right down to who you are and how you live. Number one, I just got to ask you, individually and as a congregation, are you disciplined in managing your money? And if your answer is, you know, not very, then you know the challenge this morning. You know the challenge this morning. It's just something you've got to get at. Something you've got to take care of. Maybe it's a wake-up call as a follower of Jesus to get a handle on finances, of which giving you just a small part, but to, to get a handle on how money is being managed in your household, in your life, in your family. Secondly, I'll ask you straight out, how dedicated are you to supporting the work of Jesus? as it's carried on at Faith Church. What does it do to you to know that when you gave this morning to a benevolent fund, those funds are going to flow right out of this congregation into the lives of people who really need it? What does it do to you to know that when you sent in a budget envelope or you set up an ACH account, it supports the ministry of this congregation that is having an impact for Christ in your community? Does that do something for you? Is that an awake moment? It ought to be. It can be. It should be. Let me ask you straight out, is your giving proportionate? How long has it been since you've taken a look at what you're making, what you're giving, and how those two correlate? And when you ask, what am I making, what am I giving, you also have to ask, and what do they need, right? For Paul, it was always about Jerusalem's need that occasioned the questions, what am I making and what am I giving? So when you ask those questions, you begin to review the proportionality of your giving. And then let me ask you also, how efficiently do you use money? From time to time, we slip into these careless moments. You know, we got a pocket full of money, and at the end of the day, we're not quite sure where it all went. How efficiently do we use it? And then finally, I'll ask you, is the way that you are giving and using the funds God has entrusted to you, is that a mark of your integrity? Are you able to look at it and say, if a person judged me 
by the way I have used money, they would be able to see that I am a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Now about the offering, earn all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can in a way that honors God. 